All right, guys, club Tuesday, bring in our friend Mike Zakarian from Team Hold on to tell us about his all-star game experiences out at Salt Lake City. We all got Mac McClung fever. We'll break it all down. Also, some interesting stuff going on in the NFT space with Blur's Marketplace, a battle with OpenSea. And God, my fucking moonbirds are down bad. We can hold a <laughs> eulogy for my round trip there. All today on the club. <laughs> All right, we got Andy, we got Clay, we got Mike. Real quick, Andy or Clay, are you you got Mardi Gras breeds on? Is that what we got going yeah, on? Yeah, baby. Happy Fat Tuesday, everyone out there. Happy Mardi Gras. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I completely uh I completely forgot to observe that holiday. I'm glad you're picking up the slack. For yeah, me. same. I'm really letting everyone down. Yeah, carrying the flame for everyone out here, you know. <laughs> I, Clay, I feel like you you do a good job. You're the kind of person that like when it's St. Patty's Day you and Stacy will be making like homemade green beer. Like you guys are just that kind of couple, <laughs> I feel like. Uh, actually, you know what's funny? Certainly not, especially not in her regard. Um, I like to dip my toe in the pool. I don't know if I'm going green beer, but I do have a, you know, custom engraved Guinness glass. So we have <laughs> <laughs> spots. That's from working on Guinness, to be fair. So that was, that came from the source. That's not, you know, there's levels to it, all right? Uh, Andy, how are you doing today? I'm good. Good, but... Weather in New York's like starting to look a little nicer. It was like 60 yesterday. It was great. Um, yeah, you know, my bags are down a little bit today, but overall, I feel like the vibes are up a little bit. We're you getting know what's there. so funny when you say the market's down a little bit? The only time I ever check the price of Ethereum and Bitcoin is when I see you do the little post to the, the guy with the O face <laughs> and the green arrow. That's my signal to go check. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we are up 0.02% today. Yeah. <laughs> I used to have the widget on my phone where I would see the price mm -hmm. and then you, you go through the bear market, you take that off. And now you are my check the price signal. Literally the only time is when I see your posts. I run to check. Um, Mike, fresh off of a trip to Salt Lake City. When did, did you get back? Did you take the red eye back? No, I got back last night at like 10 o'clock, I think. So okay. I, wasn't, I wasn't brave enough to do a full red eye experience. So no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Tell me about it. You went out there with So Rare. You got to go to all of the uh, the various events. You did some man on the street content. What was the, what was the scene like? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I had never been to Utah either, so I, I you know everybody's just kind of like, oh yeah, dude, Salt Lake. Good luck out there, dude. It'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> it's great. It's fine. It was a really good time. Um, but yeah, So Rare reached out to us. I think it was like exactly a week before. Uh, so it was like last Friday, and they're like. Hey, we got some tickets if you guys are down to go out there and uh, make some content. So it was a quick turnaround to make it happen. And, uh, but it was awesome. I had my first all star game experience. It was kind of, it was almost like a, a famous summer league, I'd call it. <laughs> like, because summer league, you're competing with Vegas a little bit, right? So everyone's kind of doing their own thing. But here, everybody was in like this six block radius for the entire time. Uh, but it was, it was a lot of fun. I really had a good time. Yeah, it looked like a, a good time. I was listening to you recap it today. For those of you guys who don't check out uh, Team Hold, you should. Mike was recapping some of his trip uh, this morning. You said the crossover, that was like their big convention center fan fest type type thing. Yeah, so they did. Um, I assumed it was going to be outside. I don't know why, because it's February in Utah. But I was like, oh, yeah, sure. We just like walk down to the arena and everything's going to be outside. <laughs> and then like we got there and I was like, yeah, of course not. That makes no sense. 
but yeah, there, there's like a convention center that's right across the street from the arena from like 12 to 8, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. They had all these like pop-up things in there. They had players doing interviews and signing autographs. They were like a bunch of courts and like shooting contests and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so they, even Gary V. Gary V. had his own booth, uh, which was – I thought that was kind of funny that there, there was like no Top Shot booth. There was no NBA NFT booth. Uh, but Gary V just had his own, his own the V friends are out here grinding, you know? Yeah. It's like, we won't, we won't have like the, uh, I got to give Dustin credit for this joke. It's like, yeah, we're not going to have like the basketball product here, but can I introduce you in some plushy V friends? (laughs) Like, like they have their own table. Uh, So it's pretty, what, what was, was the booth for V friends or was it for something else? I honestly, I don't even know because the line was like the line was like seventy five yeah. deep because we were like, oh, we should we should just like record this interaction because it'd be funny. Uh, and I was yeah. like, I'm not I'm not waiting in line an hour to do for that. Like that's not that's not worth it's not plus EV. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't even know what the hell he was was promoting while he was out there. Yeah, I think I saw a photo. Yeah, where I I saw him there, and uh, I mean, shout out to Gary V, just continuing to uh, to pound the pavement uh, and get out there in front of the people. Who were you? Were you starstruck by anyone? Did you like bump into someone or walk by someone? You're like, holy shit, that's uh, whoever. Besides, besides the no dunks guys, I'll always be starstruck. <laughs> by them when I see him. Uh, on so on Saturday, we kind of had this like this freak weird thing happen where we. Uh, we had a connection that just got us into the hotel where the players are all uh, staying, and there's like pretty intense security. So you could, so they they felt pretty comfortable of like just being out in the lobby. So we were like sitting next to Shams for like 45 minutes. Uh, like we saw Stephen Adams, we got a drink next to him and Mike Miller. Um, Grant Williams had just won his election for the new league VP, and uh, he was he was just like dapping everybody up after his man of the people. And the people, yeah, SGA. I would pray. Oh, Josh Giddy came out there with some. He had a vibe. I don't know if, if you guys have a photo of thought, but he was in like this pink. He had real Timothy Chalamet vibes. Like he had this. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw that. I saw that. I also saw SGA in his like fur coat. The photos yeah. of him in that thing. Yeah, it was like a fur coat and an undershirt. Uh, it was great. Uh, and then the funniest thing that happened. So there's only one exit of the hotel. So all the players are going out the same the same way. Uh, yeah. Oh, is this Giddy? No, this. I want to this... get. No, it was it was an all pink, all pink everything. Oh, this was another one. Oh, this is a. An yeah, one. he was just vibing all week. He really was. I mean, I I'm like I was ready to give him MVP votes when I saw that. That was incredible. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there was only one exit, and when we were getting ready to head to the Saturday night events, we have to walk out the same exit the players walk out. And there's like all these barricades with like fans screaming at everybody that goes up to get an autograph. <laughs> so we walked out with Gary Payton, like Hall of Famer Gary Payton, whoever's like, Gary, like going to his SUV. And then it's just Dustin and I scrolling right behind him. Like, what's up, guys? Good to see everybody. Uh, That's incredible. That's hilarious. Yeah. So that was a really fun, like, like, cause we expected to be around people like during the, you know, the events and stuff, but it was just like a random thing where we got a drink in the hotel lobby where everybody was staying. So it was pretty funny. It, when you were saying how like the Salt Lake vibes would be different from you know Vegas or in LA where everything's spread out, it always makes me think, Mike, of the um, like when all the like comedians and actors go out to the Sundance Festival and it's everyone's <laughs> chance to wear their big puffy jackets yeah. and everyone's just like hanging out within like a one mile square radius of each other the entire week. There was a lot of that. There was a lot of puffy jackets. There was a lot of puffy <laughs> yeah. jackets. Oh, then, and then I, I'll, they'll go the other way too. There was a lot of dudes just in jerseys. 
Okay. Where I was like, all right, guys. Like, I mean, you put a jacket on. It's it's cold. It's okay. You know? Yeah, it's not a contest. Like, yeah. No one wins anything here. I think yeah, that, that I feel like that's like, one of those things that's always funny. It's like guys feeling like it's badass to not wear a normal amount of outerwear. Yeah. Like, no, it's, I'm not cold. I'm yeah. not cold. It's definitely a hardo contest at sporting yeah. events. Yeah. I think I did see one of Jack's like Instagram stories and there was like a dude in just like shorts, t-shirt and flip flops, just like walking up to something. And there were lines everywhere too. So it's not like it's a quick in and out. Like you had to stay outside for like a good 25, 30 minutes before you got in anywhere. But, but he so, was funny. Like I, I think everybody anticipated uh, they're not being like a nightlife there. I mean, it's like still a city with a downtown that's hosting a major thing. You know, That closes so, like, at 8 PM Eastern time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they they were even like keeping everything open till one. They were, so they wow. they adjusted all one, of their oh, stuff. One a.m. Listen, Clay, do you have a? Are you fighting Utah? What's going on? A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. They, the, uh, uh, Clay hosts one event in Nashville, and he's like, "Your bars aren't open till five a.m. I'm not interested." <laughs> Facts. <laughs> that was a stipulation. It was like uh, legal mobile sports betting, and we don't close down at one a.m. Yeah. <laughs> well, I what went is- in there assuming it was closing at eleven. So when they said one, it felt like four. I was like, "Oh, yeah. hell yeah!" Fair enough. Yeah, out. yeah. It's but like they get on the mic and they say, the "But still, leave a little out. room for the Holy Ghost yeah. uh, out there with whoever you're dancing with." Uh, what, like, what was the? Is it a lot? Was it a lot of locals, basketball fans, or are there just people traveling? I'm curious. Like, who is the kind of person who flies out to Salt Lake City for the All Star Game? I think it was uh, – I think the the people going to, like, the crossover event stuff were a lot of locals and then probably, like, families that traveled. But it seemed okay. like the games themselves, it was a lot of people that had, like, flown in. Um, or, like, the events themselves. It seemed like a lot of out-of-towners. Uh, but there was still, like, a good mix because they – you know, they, the Utah fans were losing their shit every time, like, Lori Markkinen did anything. Um, and then on Saturday during the skills contest, they had, uh, like Utah had their own squad in the skills contest. So they were losing their mind. They're big fans of, uh, Lori Markkinen, Walker Kessler and Kyrie Irving. There was a, it was a big Kyrie contingency in Utah. Interesting. Um, I, I feel like that's not shocking to me now. But, but, uh, but no, it seemed like there was a kind of a good mix. There was a good mix of people. Definitely a lot of people that traveled in. You could, you could feel it at the airport. And what was what was the scene like for the Saturday night, uh, all the competition? Because I will tell you, you know, I, I barely follow the NBA, and yet I felt like I did back in the mid-90s when I would go over to my grandma's to watch the dunk contest because we didn't have cable, and she did. And when I saw Twitter blowing up about Mac McClung, and I, you know, frantically turned it over to the dunk contest, and I hadn't felt that way watching a dunk contest in, like, probably since the Vince Carter one like it was a very fun time was that reflected in the stadium yeah so it well especially because we were there for the first two events right it's just because it all yeah. runs together and the skills contest sucked like there was there was no I, and the no dunks guys recap this on monday but there was a part like that you couldn't see on tv but in between the event they'd have these like kids show you what the event was like they'd kind of demonstrate it as they were letting the fans know. Like the okay, survivor this- crew where they show you the challenge and they have them run through. Exactly. It. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so like the kids hit more shots than the rookies did. Like they, like these oh, are like geez. 10, 12 year olds hit like a corner. Tough three. Look. Yeah. It was the skills challenge sucked. And then the three point contest was fun, but there still wasn't like a ton of energy around it. And then like Jericho Sims dunks, Kenyon Martin dunks, Trey Murphy throws it down. There becomes a little bit more hype. That first Ma- uh, Mac McClung dunk 
the the entire night shifted. Like the vibes are crazy in there after that, and it was it felt like it was you were seeing something cool because there's a lot of hype around Mac McClung. But I mean, you're like, all right, dude, it's a G League or like what whatever, you know? Yeah, I feel like you were pretty skeptical going into it, Mike, or at least in in the content realm. It was like a nice little I don't know how much of a bit that was versus like a uh, personal feelings. Like, I really enjoyed the Man of the Street content, but it felt like you're kind of leading the questioning there of uh, you know, <laughs> the fact everyone only was aware of Mac McClung, which is well, fair. Listen, I think I, I don't want to take anything away from Mac McClung as a dunker. But if that's what we're doing, let's just get the best dunkers and don't even call it NBA contest. Like, he's not mm-hmm. in the NBA. The well, st- technically he was by the time of the dunk contest. Well, yeah, because Adam Silver was like, wow, this is a <laughs> huge L for us if he's not in the NBA. So, like, Philly, send your Yo, worst Yo, Philly, that two-way. No. Yeah. And now Mac McClung probably stays up there because of that money, baby. Philly's just going to sell well, They're going to so sell tickets jerseys. for him. Yeah. Yeah. Facts. yeah um so that that was the only thing i was like just don't let's just get some guys you know let's make it like american idol we'll just go from from like park to park throughout the country and get like the 10 best guys and we'll do that if nobody in the nba actually wants to do it um but i think it'd be fun to have it be like a joe's versus pros type of thing or something yeah and have it be almost like team based or something like that that. you get like the mac mcclellan those guys and like i feel like there just have to be ways like, I don't think that they're tapping into enough the incentivization of just, like, pure ego that these players have, where it's, like, if it's just you versus Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon or whatever, it's, like, okay, yeah, sure, I'm going to lose to Zach Levine, whatever, I don't care. But if it's, like, hey, you might lose to this guy who's, like, not even in the NBA, and that'd be yeah. really embarrassing for you. Right. Like, I, I feel like you could figure out something there. I totally agree. I totally agree. I mean, because, it, it, like, it was pretty cool. Going uh, McClung versus Trey Murphy was awesome. Like, those guys were – that was so much fun – and I feel like it's the first time we've had that in a few years. I agree, though. It's like, I don't know. John Morant should have to do it next year, you know? Yeah. I mean, how about, like, John McGr- Morant versus Mac McClung? Like, the ratings for that would just be so fucking fun. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Zion, the three of them? Oh, my yeah. God. That would be Can Zion be even fun. dunk anymore? Last time you told no, me he was, like, 300 pounds. Is he, he's what's a big he, what's... layup guy. <laughs> I don't think he has legs anymore. I, th- I, th- I think he's in a wheelchair now. I'm not positive. Uh, yeah, there Mike, was... what – your, oh, yeah. your little mic, did you get upstaged by your little mic at, uh, I keep hearing all these references to so, it. So you know what's so funny, man? I feel like all the content I see, people use those mics. And the then TikTok I used mic. it. Yeah, yeah, and I used it. And everybody was like, what the hell is that? Like, I was like, what? <laughs> I, I, thought every, I thought everyone was, like, I specifically got that one instead of a regular sized one. Uh, yeah, little, little Mike Crush, though. It was really good. Best well, you know what you need to do next year? You need to get a comically oversized mic. <laughs> Just ginormous. <laughs> I mean, because I, I, the the dunk contest stuff that had been even for ages that when they were like, how do we get LeBron to do it? I mean, do they still? It still blows my mind that you're telling me there's not a sponsor that could come up and put up like a two million dollar prize pool right. for the winner of the dunk contest, and then some of these guys would be more incentivized. I, I it's weird to me that they can't crack that code. Yeah, it is. It, it, I mean, I there was a bunch of tweets going around about it today. I think Stephen A. Smith said something. Uh, about like LeBron being the one that ruined it. But he like truly, he was like the first one. He was the first one that was like, nah, I'm good. And then after that, everyone was like, oh, we don't have to do it. Like this isn't, this isn't uh, like the pathway forward. Uh, you see, I, Vin, like Vince Carter came out and said that there was like a proposal, like early, like, like I guess like right after LeBron denied the first time or around that timing or whatever. But it was like him, LeBron, what's it like Kobe and like one other like prolific star at the time. And they were all like going to get paid like a million dollars. And there was going to be like, a, and LeBron was the one that kind of, as I understood it, like kind of pulled out or what wasn't committal to it, which is tough. I mean, it would have been a lot of fun. It would have been a lot of fun to yeah. see LeBron in one. 
I, I think you're right. Some some sponsor just pony something up. Uh, or like create a wing in the Hall of Fame. Like you get you're, you win the dunk contest, you're in the Hall of Fame. I don't know. Do something. Something to get people to be down for it. How how loud does it get like after one of those sick dunks? Is it like you're in the garden playoff game level loud or it's more just like like what it, how what's the decibel levels we're talking about? I don't about? know if it was if it was how sick the dunk was or how what Utah is, but they, I mean, they went nuts when the club threw that down. They went absolutely insane. And I, listen, I got sucked right in because what was so cool about a lot of the dunks with Trey Murphy too, is that you would see, like you see it happen in real time. You're like, wow, that was, that was impressive. And then they give you a slow-mo and you're like, oh, he also tapped the ball against the glass and then threw it in. So like every single one, it felt like you learned something else. So there was this initial wave and then a second wave of so the the excitement was like it was good uh, the, it was really loud like it did feel playoff level in there here's the real question was it a 540 or not no i don't think so i don't think so it was like a little less than a 540 but then i i cuz i saw that going around too and they were like well i forget who it was it was like well 360s aren't 360s then <laughs> like yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that is kind of the argument like i'm i'm yeah. pro i think it's 540 because technically sure he dunked it when he was 360 degrees of revolution around but he yeah. lands a 540 so it's like i don't know does this you know if you apply the snowboarding metrics the x games metrics to it i think it's a 540 yeah i just love the idea of that like what so if it's a 510 how does that change anything yeah, what, yeah right like, yeah the, or that is, that's where the other argument comes into play for me is like well yeah if that's a 360 then everything else is a fucking 180 where to go negative 90 that's now right. that's a regular dunk like what the fuck right the other thing that mcclung had going for a big time in that kills other dunk contests are the missed dunks yeah and i think mm-hmm. like did i i didn't see the first round of his dunks i don't think but did he have any misses Dude, no. So that was no, the single time. McClung yeah. didn't miss. Murphy didn't miss. And I mean, Jerry Sims didn't miss, but he exactly. also didn't do too much. No, he said the dunk contest back another five years. <laughs> he that did. Was, he 50 did. years. He was like, what if I do the same dunk again? <laughs> like, all right, dude, say. What if I just shove my arm a little deeper in the rim? Yeah, um, yeah but only, only Kenyon Martin Jr. missed. Yeah, I mean that because I, I mean everyone remembers like the Birdman, uh, Doug contest too, where it's just like my God, it, it kills it. So like to have someone, what? How short a notice? Like how long was Matt Mac McClung booked for that? Did he know about that for a while? No. Yeah, no. Well, he was he was over like a month, right? Uh, close to it. My, yeah. Well, my sources. Uh, is, I can I got stuff the source game now. My sources. Uh, yeah, it would have been like a little less than a month from how I yeah. understand it to be. Where it kind of it was rumored. For, it was kind of like on the table for a minute, but it wasn't finalized. Yeah. Um, until a few weeks, a few weeks ago. Do you guys? Yeah, they did take forever to announce who who was going to be doing it. Do you guys remember when we were at summer league? What would it have been two years ago with all the club yeah. people? And Mac McClung was playing. Warriors. I think he was on the Warriors at the time. Yeah. And we went in that auxiliary yeah. gym, and they looked like a high school team because it's yeah. just a bunch of like white dude. And uh, yeah, so I was like, I recognize this dude uh, from somewhere. It was from an auxiliary summer league gym. Yeah. It, Okay. I, I thought some of the discourse around like it was really interesting because like for I think if you were if you've been on Instagram over the last, you know, five plus years or so, like Mac McClung was all over, especially over time basketball's Instagram oh, yeah. for years. And he was not he was on everyone thought he would be a way better college player than he was because he had the game. He was an incredible dunker and he went to Georgetown, didn't quite, you know, fall into grips there and then went to Texas Tech and then just, you know, he made it to the league. But that was about it. It's like a pretty normal story from a college perspective. But 
him coming back on the radar and then everyone being like, we never heard of this guy before. It was like, well, where have you been? Like, if you're a basketball yeah. fan, are you, you've been on the internet or no? Like, you've been under, I mean, he was kind of out there if you were in that world of, especially YouTube, high school basketball, you know, highlights or that kind of shit. My favorite thing was they, uh, so, and I'm sure you saw it on the broadcast too, they were interviewing him after and they're like, so you're going to defend your title next year? I was like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. What else is going on? He made his salary that night. Like, like yes, no, I'm really he's, busy. Yeah, yeah he's like, well, the he's loan, not even the Puma contract. And that was smart by Puma, man. They swooped in like the day before and inked the deal. So he was wearing Pumas in all of the shots and all of it. That was brilliant on their part. Yeah. Yeah. We he, kept jo- joking. He secured uh, a handful of bags that weekend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this would normally be, I think, a, a question Jack would love to answer. But Andy, what would you do? If you were Mac McClung for this next year, say your 10-day contract or whatever phases out, like how would you capitalize? How would you strike while the iron's hot on this newfound celebrity? So hear me out. <laughs> this new interesting technology that not many people have heard of, NFTs. No. Boo. Honestly, I have no idea. I think probably you try to get like a Netflix reality TV show or something. Yeah. Just like some some type of stupid, yeah, yeah, but like some some sort of reality thing where it's like white, like like some shitty play on like white men can't jump, like a slam dunk like sports contest thing or something, or like I don't know, like because he's obviously not a good enough player to be in the NBA, but he does have like this really interesting and weird skill set, and so it's probably like some version of TikTok content plus trying to leverage that into being like a reality TV person for like a more competitive, like sports-based thing. That's what I was going to say. I, because one of the other, the, like the street ball hoop stuff is definitely a big genre on TikTok. And like, if he did some, like, I don't know, 20 state tour, and maybe he did like some bit of like the uncle drew thing where he kind of like sandbag, like I'm just this nerdy looking white dude. And then I'm throwing down like dunks in these games. Like, I feel like if he had a crew follow him around and everyone's like looking around, like this guy just did this. And with his look, it would not be hard for him to disguise himself and blend in or not look. as an yeah. accountant or something. Like <laughs> exactly. I, I think yeah, NBA intern. It'd be so dude, good. what if he wears like I want him to wear um vineyard vines outfits like to yeah. the, to the basketball court just like a pink scarf like wrapped around his head and then just throw it down 360s yeah i was gonna say like he, he looks like he could be in the book of mormon like uh, the Broadway <laughs> production like he's so fitting around. to be in utah i know that's what i'm saying i think him and jimmer for the script do <laughs> the script this is scripted from years ago man they found Hashtag out salt lake Ridge. city all-star weekend 2023 <laughs> I think him and Jimmer Fredette should have like a two man show out and like with the Shanghai Sharks. Just both of them get like ten million a year to play overseas. I think that's bring in Zach Wilson. Yeah, get really to do a bit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe maybe that's his move. He just stays out in Salt Lake City. He's like, I will never be more famous in a singular city than I am right now in Salt Lake. I am just gonna you know hang around the BYU campus, see what Cougars, literal and figurative, are interested <laughs> in me, and just just ride it out. He <laughs> was how he did. You see how he did monetize like the window immediately after it was so brilliant. He put up a, a promo promo code for his um, jumping program to like uh, increase your vertical okay. immediately on his Instagram. That's sharp, great. sharp. Now he needs uh, branded like ankle weights. Like he's he's got it. That's what we need. <laughs> Build it all. What of any any other takes from from Saturday night or what about the uh, the main event on Sunday? 
Well, I realized I want to make sure I get this out. I forgot about Friday night. So Friday night, we uh, somehow got into the DraftKings party. We went to the draft uh, sponsored by Dollar Shave Club. Um, And uh, so there's probably like, it's mostly like industry people. There's probably like, I don't know, a hundred or so. They had Fat Joe. Uh, Fat Joe did a set. And uh, Fat Joe was one of the most incredible performances because he did a couple of his songs. Then he did five minutes of stand-up, what can only be described as stand-up. It was like a tight five. He had, and like, kudos to him. He got some laughs out of the crowd. It was pretty solid. Then he started doing other people's songs, which I thought was an incredible flex. Like, not even ones that he was featured on. It turned into just kind of like a live cover band. And then he ends the show by saying, well, well, you, Tom, secured the bag. And just walked off. It's incredible. I mean, he basically should have just had like a Dollar Shave Club representative come out and give him like an actual bag filled with, you know, uh, yeah. $20,000 or whatever he got for that. It we have a beer lineup on stage. That would be yeah. good marketing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was so good. But Sunday was fun too. The All-Star game itself. I learned from a lot of people that a lot of like the media uh, come in for like Thursday and leave before the game. Like they fly mm. out on Sunday. They don't stay mm. for the game. Uh it's like the, Super Bowl. Yeah. It wasn't too jack. Like the, it was a little quieter for the game itself. I think the crowd is pretty pumped when Donovan Mitchell got hot. Uh, as a Celtics fan, it was pretty dope to see the Tatum Brown like they just went one on one for like ten minutes, and that that was really fun to watch. Um, and Dame, I I didn't realize that I would like watching Dame so much, but Dame in person is pretty fun. Like he's very impressive. Did you yeah. see that video? Yeah, he's a showman too. Yeah, absolutely. You see the video of his jump shot going around and talking about like how like it's like that gap between his like the fingertips and the ball, and that is like the most unusual like shooting form that I've seen in terms of like the grip. Like yeah, probably the basketball, but it's working for him, man. He's getting some tight spin on the on his shot. It that was, was wild. Yeah. I never seen a video breaking that down before. I had never seen it either, and it really does just like rest on his palm for so yeah. long. I was very surprised. Yeah, he like almost like that. rocks it back. So there's like, and then he gets like more of a flick on it like that. But yeah, yeah. Shout out Dame winning the three point contest. I was uh, I saw somebody bet the trifecta, which was like Dame to win the three point contest, Mac McClung to win the dunk contest, and Tatum to be the MVP wow. of the All Star game. It was pretty solid and i was pretty salty that i did not get plus 450 down on mac to win the dunk contest uh because i was already in north carolina with could get a bet down uh before the, all the odds change and then he came out that video is like i got two dunks never been done before and boom every book changed it up yeah literally <laughs> i know it was pretty cool though i will say i like i hope to do something like that again that was a it was a really good time and uh shout out so rare too for for making that happen and it was cool to see them have a have a presence there like uh, they had they were they partnered up with a couple of 2K influencers that we met, um, which I didn't know that was a thing. But uh, they were there, and then uh, this dude Bryson, who's pretty big into Web three yeah, gaming, gaming, he was there, and he was doing a lot of stuff for them as well. So it was just cool seeing them have a presence. And I like I know I said this this morning, and I know we usually don't talk about uh, Top Shot on Club Top Shot, but it was pretty it was pretty weird that they weren't there at all. Uh, like the crossover, like I was saying, Gary V had a table like everybody had a table and it's not like it's crazy money to get one of those tables um and for this to be i don't know like it's comic-con right like that's just comic-con yeah. for basketball and for that this and is it's the- it's uh, low-hanging fruit i mean the the easiest thing you can do is book a little space and have a booth and give out some like plush little basketball nerf toys and like call it a day <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know that's truly like they didn't have to do just have have an, an uh a tv behind you just play in the moments QR code, sign them up, whatever. And that's, and that's, they don't even have to sign them up, but just at least pretend like you're a part of the conversation. 
it's just it was kind of it's just weird it was really weird it's not like they it, haven't been activated they've been all over the place i saw a tweet about like all these events they've been at recently doing stuff like it was weird to me that all-star was not included on that i actually thought they were would have been at all-star considering the i just saw it was like two days ago i saw a tweet about like we were in paris and somewhere else right, they, and the other nba thing nba thing or whatever yeah they did the tour right where so they did which but yeah they did the tour which i think is like for current users right so they went out to it. portland they went to miami toronto and then uh in paris which is great like i don't want to dunk on them for that and i know yeah yeah Ro roham was there and uh may i believe meg from top shop meg Patton was there and then it was nice. just like the people who spent thirty thousand on those uh all-star vip things they were there um and that was it though. there is a big lake there uh <laughs> helicoptered in <laughs> uh, it's a true call, airdrop <laughs> for, the, for the audio listeners call says no place to dock roham's yacht in a landlocked state um <laughs> The uh, so any other did you did you do any like uh were there specific like so rare stuff that you guys were doing there or was it more just kind of like an exposure thing for them? Uh, more of an exposure, and then we what we were doing uh, they had specific contests on Saturday, so they had the Saturday contest where uh, you could pick anybody from <clears throat> if you owned like the rookies who were participating in the rookie in the skills challenge, anybody that was participating in the skills challenge dunk contest or three point contest, you could like create a lineup with them and they like assigned points or whatever. So what we did is we did like we built our lineup within the stadium, uh, like while we were nice. there, and then just yeah, like yeah. shared that. So we did that for Saturday and for Sunday. Which was fun. Between that and uh, like the underdog pickups, I didn't expect to get like very invested in the underdog pickups at the All Star game, but that was so fun. So the the combination of the so rare sweat and the underdog sweat was a pretty good time. Um, but that was really it. They just kind of wanted us out and about, and they they had a little bit more of a presence like at media day with with the players and stuff like that. I know they were around there. They just kind of wanted us messing around. That's awesome. Uh, yes, well, I know I know you got to uh, get running here, but I just uh, wanted to get a little dispatch uh, from your trip, so I appreciate you swinging by. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me, guys. It's good to it's good to be back on. And I, as I said before the show started, love the four thirty start time. Keep it up. There you oh, go. Yeah, yeah it's the, the the early bird special. We'll all be in bed by five forty five. It'll be uh, great. And uh, as always, if you guys uh, are interested in hearing more about uh, Mike's trip to Salt Lake, to check out uh, this morning's uh, Team Hold episode. They got the podcast feed. They got the YouTube, which I linked to in the show notes down below. Anything else coming up on your schedule for this week, Mike? Oh, uh, just you know, the morning show Monday through Friday at nine, uh, and then I there's a bunch of other shit going on, but I, there's no need. There's no need <laughs> to plug it. Just just come hang out if you're into it. <laughs> Come hang out. Team hold. Always there for you in the mornings. Mike, have a good one, man. Thanks. Later, guys. See you. And Clay, I, I assume it didn't work out, but you you have a buddy who has like has been following Mac McClung. Was that what you were saying? Yeah. Actually, he couldn't join today because his post-NBA schedule has been pretty crazy after Mac uh, winning the dunk contest. But yeah, he's been – so it's a documentary from the G League called – I think it's called The Break. And there's about five episodes live on YouTube right now. Shaq does the voiceover, which is pretty sick. So it's like really soothing audio experience as well. And the visuals are dope. So it's one of my really close friends from UNC. Um, his production company got hired to do to follow three G League players all season long. And Mac McClung was one of them. So they follow him starting back when they, he talks about his decision to turn down like multi-million dollar offers to go play overseas to try to still make it in the NBA. And now it's a pretty insane storyline with the culmination this past weekend and uh, All-Star Game weekend. So yeah, he was out there following the whole time, uh, filming. And so that should all come out uh, whenever they drop the next episode in a few weeks' time. Um, but pretty pretty sick. Like a pretty incredible storyline. 
you know, got to spend a lot of time, I think, with like his parents and just get like more backstory this weekend on his journey and experience. But, you know, hard to write a better script uh, for a documentary than kind of one unfolding for them. So, yeah, pretty stoked. Try uh, check out the break on on YouTube. It's a good like, short 12 minute episodes, like really fun to watch. I think uh, Norris Cole, he used to play on the Heat. He's another player that they're following. And I'm blanking on the other guy who's a part of G League at night, um, which is like the G like the it's not that's the, it's the G League team that's not affiliated with any other true NBA team. Like Mac was on the Delaware Blue Coats, which was the Philly G League affiliate for a while until he got the two-way deal. And there were all those the cool like split screen stuff of Shaq's reaction to McClung's dunks yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Like if he's doing the voiceover, it feels like there's it's some perfect. like really cool tie-in with that stuff. Yeah, I saw a really cool video. So it seems like you know, Shaq has a little bit of like an um, like I don't know how personal of a connection, I don't know how much time he's actually spent with, you know, Mac beforehand, but he was somebody who was clued into like some of his skills and stuff. Where if you listen to the broadcast, um, I think like Kenny in particular was like kind of ragging on Mac originally. And then once Mac did the tap off the backboard, dunking over those guys, he won him over. Um, it was cool to see. Yeah. Uh, Andy, the so rare stuff from Mike, are, are you still in those streets, still setting your lineups? Yeah, I mean, actually, it runs. I need to set mine for this upcoming uh, week, but yeah, I'm still doing it. I'm, I'm slightly less involved right now. Um, I just honestly am having more fun playing underdog than yeah. the doing the Zorro stuff, and so like I only have so much time to really like commit to it. Um, even I've been starting my my best ball drafts. I'm getting the cardio club going early this year, so it's actually in a draft with Justin this morning. Um, which was fun. So shout out to Justin, but yeah, so mostly just spending more time on underdog, but I'll still set my lineups and pay attention. And I mean, some of their auctions that have happened have been crazy amounts. So it seems like they're doing well. Uh, I just don't have the, the time or energy to, to commit to like really getting in the weeds and doing everything. Yeah, no, that, that makes it, that's what was intimidating about it to me, just kind of getting fully in the weeds on it, but does seem like a cool thing. Um, I did just also see, we're starting to see more games like that. Uh, DraftKings just announced they're going to have their Rainmakers for PGA, which people seem uh, excited about. So it'll be interesting to see if more people continue to kind of get in the space with the fantasy NFT side of things. I might dip my toes in that, to be honest. I've low-key been enjoying some golf DFS stuff, and we've, we had some fun, you know, bets are in tournaments around it, too. So um, and the, the, the new Netflix show, actually, low-key, kind of good, full swing. So I've golf. been, like, I've been crushing Netflix reality TV. Yeah. Um, four more four more episodes of The Perfect Match just came out today. So tonight, when wow. Allie gets home from dinner, we're going to fucking crush The Perfect Match. Love it's it. going to be awesome. Um, we just watched The Mole, which was okay at best, but it was entertaining. Um but the full swing is definitely on my list of uh, of things to watch. But I actually, while there have been no NBA games for like a week, I had you know, I was doing like some NFL drafts. But like the draft rooms aren't filling up that fast yet for the it's for the big board. Two hours a day, and and the drafts are long as fuck too. Twenty rounds, like it, they're really long drafts. I don't um, know. And so I the airport bar decided to get in one, and then it wasn't filling up. Uh, I got yeah. distracted, and then I like land, and I pull. And I have like a notification from underdog, and like the draft was completed. Like at some point, I just got auto the whole time. That's so interesting um, because the contest is at twenty five percent full, so it must be maybe more people doing slow drafts. Is everyone just jumping? It's got to be. Yeah, I like. I mean, if so, the the mini one just like does not fill. I mean, it obviously it does. 
But like every time I, I'm like, because I think it's a two draft limit per person for yeah. that one. And I've already done two one. Men. So I was like, right, let me just like do my second one. And every time I'm going to do a draft, I just like <clears throat> go to both. And whichever one fills first, I'll do. And I just always end up doing the the, the regular draft. Um, gotcha. But yeah, it must be a lot of slow drafts. I mean, I would say that I've never waited more than like 15 minutes. But normally when I'm going to do one, it's because I have like an explicit period of time where I have the time to do it. And like, I get pretty distracted pretty easily. <laughs> and so just like knowing myself, if I'm, if I'm the third person who enters the lobby, like I'm going to forget about the draft and not do it. And so I'm, I'm better off just leaving. I will uh, uh, do a, I'll mention, so if you're in the Deposit Kingdom Discord, um, there's a roles channel and there's a best ballers role and a badge bros role. And if you're in the badge bros channel or in the best ball one and you just want to tag that, anyone who's opted into that, they use that to try to fill drafts. So if you guys are trying to fill a big board, I know like during cardio club season, everyone's like, dude, I've been on the Stairmaster for 14 minutes. Will you please join these drafts? But that's a good way to get there. And then obviously I'll be, I'll be doing a ton of big boards on streams. Um, and so those will fill. I don't know if we might be doing one tomorrow on ship chasing, but yeah, a few ways to, uh, to round up some enthusiasm. Uh, Tag the real drafting. sickos. Yeah. Um, Andy, I want to talk a little bit about what's going on with blur and open I mean, this is the first time I can remember like OpenSea actually reacting to something another marketplace did where forever it just felt like we're bigger than this. We don't have to do anything. You guys are going to keep coming back because you have no other choice. Did that uh, did that raise your eyebrows when they turned off fees here, at least temporarily? Yeah, I was I, I, mean, I was pretty shocked. Um, I, I think it kind of made sense that they had to like. I don't know. I I don't think that OpenSea is just going to like go down without a fight, so to speak. Uh, and so I'm curious to see what they do. I, I have gotten some uh, the beta access to Gen V2, which I was messing around with, and it, it's really nice. Uh, I think people will like it. And I think it, I think it's just generally good to kind of have competition there. And uh, I mean, like to be honest, it's just not really a contest right now between OpenSea and Blur. And so I think like. What I was surprised by is I feel like OpenSea kind of got to this point where they had to make the decision of whether or not they were going to fight for the market share that is like the DGen PFP flipper, whatever kind of thing. And it seemed like maybe they weren't going to. And now they, they basically have been like, yeah, we are. We do want that market share and we're going to fight for it. Um, and so that'll be interesting to see. I. I think without token incentives, it's just going to be really hard for OpenSea to convince anyone to use something else or to, yeah. or to not use Blur, I should say. Um, but maybe that'll change. I, I think like all things considered, I, like I think that Blur had to do the token stuff in order to actually like leach actual value from OpenSea. But now what OpenSea does have is they still have not released a token. Yeah. And so, like, they do still have that. And so I, I, I think from the conversations that I've had with people, they don't want to release a token. But I think more so they don't want to lose. Yeah. And so they'll do what they have to do. And so I think that, like, they, they kind of, while in a less advantageous position right now, they do still have an ace up their sleeve, so to speak. 
And so I don't know. It'll, it'll be really interesting to see see what the yeah. next couple of months hold. And also, like so much of this volume right now is all just like garbage. It's not real. It's just people farming blur tokens. I was I, I was just gonna ask you that because you know I, I saw this play out a little bit with with looks rare right where they had all that volume, all the wash trading, people farming the rewards, and then things really petered out over time. Ryan asking why is blur worth anything? Do you think they have more staying power than these other OpenSea? competitors uh i do just because i think they're really good like they're just really good at making software and like they clearly are just like executing on a level that is not normal i've heard rumors that everyone who works at the company all lives in the same apartment i don't know whether or not that's true uh but like they're just really intense like well, last time that uh happened that worked out very well yeah <laughs> are they in the bahamas too or uh no, I think they're an SF. Um, but yeah, I, I think they're just like really intense and they really care. They really want to win and they're really good at what they do. And so I think that like they're just kind of the most competent team that can give OpenSea a run for their money. Have you been messing around with any farming over there or too much too much effort? Uh, a little bit here and there um, just because it's like kind of fun. Uh, I don't think that there's a ton of alpha to be had right now in like farming blur. Um, like everyone knows the alpha was to be farming blur three months ago. Not right now. Yeah. Um, so hard to say. I, I like, I think probably if you're like doing it like a pro, like you're taking it very seriously, you'll make money from it. But if you're just like a casual person who's like, oh, let me put in some bids and let me farm some blur, uh, you're probably going to have a bad time. What do you? What are the other things do you think that would be advantages from them outside of the token incentivization? Or do they win over OpenSea in other ways? UI, overall experience, do you think? Uh, I think the biggest thing there has been... Um, their UI is like really fast. Like OpenSea's UI has been pretty slow for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Like to be honest, I don't really love Blur's UI in general. Like it's just it's not the style that appeals to me. And not that OpenSea necessarily is either. I think there's probably a like I think my favorite marketplace UI that exists right now is like Foundation, but it's just not made for that type of transacting. Um, and so yeah. like I don't I don't think that it's people are just like oh wow this is like the perfect UI it's really great. Um, but I think maybe, I think it's really just like the speed and they had a bunch of tools at the start, but then I think they just did such a good job gamifying everything. Um, Variant, the crypto VC firm, they put out an article today talking about, um, like the blur token airdrop and all of that. And I thought they did a really good job kind of laying out all of the different like levels of incentives and why it was done really well and really smart. Uh, I think that's like a good piece to read to kind of get some insight on stuff too. Nice. Uh, Clay, have you messed around on the blur marketplace at all? I haven't. I just, I haven't been really trading anything. So I haven't had a whole lot of time. I am interested just from obviously the macro level and marketplaces being, you know, an important components, everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, even with like looks like I just, one thing I think OpenSea has going for it is it's very natural for me, at least behaviorally to like go and type in, you know, O-P-E-N-S-E-A and my URL 
as opposed to any other thing. And even when like looks was like, you know, I was want to check on the, um, you know, farming and staking that situation there. Like, yeah, it's just a little different. So I have not, um, but I'm excited to, I'm just kind of been, you know, marketplaces have not been my main point of focus at current moment. I, and I mean, that's the challenge for all of it, right. In all of the sites that have come up where it is hard to reflexively get out of the habit and they get, like Andy said, they get the degens, right? Because there's rewards mm -hmm. and they can, it's gamified, but the, the casual user, it's still like, they don't necessarily feel like to break someone's pattern of behavior is, is pretty it's hard. Tough. Yeah. But we've seen it happen time and time again, you know, you always like the cliche, like blockbuster, like Netflix example, right? There's you know, companies that people thought would never be like removed from the top peg of, you know, even how people interact from a behavioral standpoint. And then you know, variety of reasons can can dictate that. So I, who knows? I mean, like we might not be using OpenSea primarily in a number of time. I think there's just like, I'm kind of excited. Just, I got my popcorn. I'm just kind of like sitting back and seeing how things unfold. And uh, hope, I mean, the, will, the one thing I will say is like, I am really fascinated in the whole like royalty conversation from like a creator standpoint as it relates to more specifically like the art drops. And like, it, you know, I think I've seen some good chatter on Twitter about this kind of, um, you know, fork in the road, right? Where are you creating a platform designed to help like the artist creators or are you creating a platform that's designed to help the traders and the buyers and those are you know two things that can coexist but there's different incentives and perspective and reasonings for how that should work and how that plays out but i mean to me the, the one of the best premises of the space of web3 and nfts in particular as it relates to you know selling collectibles digital collectibles is the aspect that you have ongoing royalties that's the thing that when we talk to companies that are interested in like web3 especially if they sell like you know, goods or services or whatever it might be, the idea that they could, you know, be a part of any secondary sales and receive additional revenue from that is, I think, something that really is impactful for the space growing as a whole at large. But, you know, it gets a little lost in the nuance when it's like more micro specific to like what we're talking about when it comes to like blur trading and that kind of stuff, right? Um, but I'm sure Andy, you probably got some, you know, perspective there too from the stuff they're working on with like Escher and everything. And I'm thinking about this from like our standpoint with, we have like our whole like, you know, Degen sports collective, which is like our art kind of gallery focused on sports that we're rolling out and focusing on like highlighting sports artists and stuff. So, you know, we're thinking about it from a whole lot of angles. That's not just, you know, Knights of Degen original collection of 8,880 FTs specific, you know? Yeah, no, totally. I think it's like a good point clay. And I think it's something that's, it's been like pretty interestingly kind of lost in the chaos of this conversation. Uh, and like, you know, shockingly, Twitter is not a great place for nuance. Um, I think a lot of the outrage around royalties is artists and creators who are like, what the fuck? Um, I don't think really any reason that people have wanted to skirt royalties is because of artists and creators. And I don't think people really have shown very much interest in skirting the royalties of artists and creators it's mostly the large pfps and all of that and up until now we've just seen them all transact on the same marketplace where like that's just how it is and it's just easier to make rules for everyone and the the pfps and all of that do way more volume and so that's what people care about um and that's something that like one of the reasons why i'm excited about escher is you know we're just kind of saying like we're just not going to care about the pfp side of things yeah and so we're just going to honor artists and artists royalties and their their desires there and like i'm confident that you know long term the users who like actually care about artwork and care about supporting these people are going to want to come and support these different marketplaces um and yeah i think like that like general conversation it just gets lost in the weeds and like it makes it sound like everyone who's building nft stuff like 
doesn't want to. I like basically there's like kind of two sides of it where it's like if you're like, oh, royalties are going to zero, everyone's like, well, then why do you hate artists? And it's like, no, like it's not it's not the same conversation. It's like you cannot enforce them. And so for the stuff that's really high volume where it doesn't make sense to charge seven and a half percent for a trade, they're probably going to zero. But like there's still a lot of people I know who like when I do a private sale with someone, we talk to each other and we're like, all right, let's honor the royalties and send it to the artist. I'm like, those two things can still exist in the same world. And right now yeah. it's just like the conversation feels like that they can't. <laughs> right. And I think that'll change over time. And that's like one of the things that we're really going to try to like narrow in on and explain with what we're doing at Escher is that like you, you know, we're, we're going to try to make some tools too for artists to want to reward people who do honor royalties and try to create more like carrots as opposed to just like, trying to punish people who don't or something, but more ways to incentivize, like make it easy to just like make an allow list of people who have only ever sold your artwork with royalties honored and different things like that. I wonder, I'm sure people have thought about this and I'm not smart enough to, to crack the code, but thinking if there's like a, like a curved thing where royalties start and then based after X amount of transactions or whatever, then it like depletes to where once something's transacted nonstop, that it's just like not reaping in royalties. Yeah, there have definitely been some like ideas around that kind of stuff. Uh, it starts to get pretty complicated pretty fast, honestly. And it's like the same thing where it's kind of hard to enforce. Yeah, there's like, there's potentially like some interesting kind of stuff around like, almost more like transfer fee things as opposed to like pure just royalties where it's like, hey, we're gonna, you know, every transfer for the first however many transfers, we're going to charge this percentage of the mint cost or whatever or there's like some interesting ideas around like dynamic royalties where you only pay a royalty if you bought it if you sell it for more than you bought it for um which is interesting but a lot of this stuff can be gamed um it's pretty imper imperfect and i think like I think the better way to try to go about like sol solving a lot of this stuff is more so, you know, for the traditional artist who just wants to like have royalties then like find collectors who are going to honor your royalties. And like, if you don't do that, like sometimes people won't and that like that sucks, but you know, find better ways to incentivize people who are collecting your work to want to honor your royalties. Um, and then for, you know, other stuff, you can start to get experimental and maybe royalties isn't the only way to, to lock in value, whether it's providing up like liquidity to like market make for collections. There's been some conversations kicking up again about harbinger taxes, which I don't need to get into the weeds on how those work. Um, but it's essentially the like really, really fast version of what a harbinger tax is. And it'll never work at scale because it's too confusing for the average person. But you like, if you own an NFT, you can basically set what your valuation of it is. And that's kind of like your buy it now price. And when you have that valuation set, you're basically paying a small tax based on whatever your valuation is. And so, you know, say there's like a 10% per year tax that basically whoever owns this thing, whatever they're valuing it at, that tax is paid out to the artist. Um, it doesn't necessarily work super well for just like pure artwork. Cause like, what if I just want to own this thing for the next hundred years and I just bought it and I'm a collector, but it works better for stuff that has like actual real life utility, you know, like, yeah kind of like for like a land tax or something if you had significantly more like real world application kind of things or like a gaming asset where you're like i i actually utilize this asset and i'm comfortable like setting an actual fair market price for it and paying taxes on it long term um but there, there's different things that people can experiment with but that, that's i think really we'll see a lot of evolution 
yeah, that's like really interesting when you think about like, um, like, like true metaverse spaces, right? And like how, like, you know, if a, a company organization that owns metaverse space, let's say they sell land in that metaverse space, right? As an NFT. And like, that's a pretty interesting thought from like, you know, well, you could do a lot of things to improve your space, like to add value to whether that's like digital art that you like want to, you know, showcase in that, you know, metaverse location or whatever, right? Like, th theoretically, a lot of the same principles that apply to like you buy a house, you do things to fix up the house, the property value of the house goes up. So then you're like, you could set a mark and say, hey, I think that my metaverse space here is worth X amount. And I can see that tax principle applying in that in that way. That's, inter that's an interesting thought. Dude, I don't. I, I definitely don't see how it works. Like, as you said, that scale, like a more overarching. Yeah, here, I'll, problem, I'll share but... in the chat. Because I, like I said, don't know how to send comments in the main chat for one of you guys to share. <laughs> but this is like the earliest, um, one of the earliest kind of like iterations of trying out like a harbinger tax. Um, and it's by this guy, Simon, who's a really, really smart guy. He's generally been a bit of a trailblazer when it comes to like interesting mechanics and stuff with NFTs. And so, you know, we don't have to get, get into all the weeds right now, but I think it's a good thing to, to explore and learn about. I think we're going to see just by, by force of necessity, artists start to experiment with new things, whether it's bonding curves for their work and, and different things to try to um, find new ways to continue their monetization. Yeah, that's so interesting too, because uh, it reminded me, uh, it was a couple of years ago, I read uh, this book called Radical Markets. Um, and we had the author, Glenn Wheel, on uh, the podcast, me and Davis and uh, Patrick Laird, we did a, a book club on it. And that was one of his ideas too. But his was even more, I guess you could say radical, where it was the same thing for anything you owned, that you set the valuation that you pay taxes. But the rub, the, where the shoe drops is anyone can walk around and offer you that price for that thing and you have to sell it to them, right? Like you can't just say, my house is worth $10,000 and I'm going to pay 10,000 in taxes. Well, someone comes around and buys your house for 10,000. So it like creates a way to establish mm -hmm. a fair market value. Obviously no one wants to live in a world where someone can come up and tell you, but you can see how conceptually it actually gets you to set a fair value. That's cool. um, I was also going to pull up this thing as we were talking about royalties because i did see this tweet the other day just showing the amount of money that these major projects had bought brought in and with royalties so for the uh, the audio peeps out here other deeds almost 50 million in royalties year to date that's in usd azuki 41 and a half million board ape yacht club 32 million and then my fucking moonbirds down here 27 million i mean when you see these numbers andy do you think like okay this this amount of royalties for these kind of projects is ridiculous I mean, yeah, I, th I think if any company thought that they could seriously, like, maintain this as a business model, like, I mean, come on. Um, and, and so I, th I think it makes sense. And like, this is, you know, this is not the same thing as an artist making $50,000 a year on secondary royalties from their artwork. And like, the two things are so different. And I think the big thing that you kind of see as a general kind of connector between all these things is almost all of these are like teams of people and most of them raise venture capital funding or they were a straight up scam. Um, like when you look at like Hape Prime and well, a couple of other ones. And so like, I don't think that a great model for VC funded companies is just like create hype and volatility and earn royalties. Um, and, and so I think those people model. had to, 
Yeah. It works for the top like five up there because there's enough going on, enough action, but like you can't predict out. Like you literally can't. Like you go, <laughs> when they're raising money, they, I mean, they probably did in the bull market, you know, at that point in time, it was a lot easier then. But these days, like, you know, they're seeing through that shit. Like they're, you can't, you can't base predictable revenue for your business off of something as fluctuation, fluctuating as royalty. Money. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I think that's like, that's the big thing there. And I think that's where it's really easy to kind of differentiate between the artist and creator and stuff like this is this isn't X copy. This isn't FIWO or any, any artists who are just amazing artists that have done very well for themselves. Uh, this is a very different type of thing. Uh, and I personally don't feel very much allegiance to like pay the royalties for my NFT worlds. If I owned any or something, you know? Yeah. I think we'll see a yeah. lot more niche and native marketplaces as well and like we'll see where we net out but i just think that things are gonna be so i mean the nft space the web3 space moves so fucking quickly that like in six months it's like three years that we all talk about but it'll be in one year of true calendar time i think we'd be really fascinating to see where we're at in this conversation and then as mm -hmm. you know i could see a whole path where we go to a lot like more niche marketplaces depending on what things you're looking to buy whether that's more like like bigger time art or smaller artist or you know day trading you know nft collections or whatever it may be right and then I think a lot of companies will look into like launching their own marketplace and how does that affect things? Or maybe we do need more of a central location. So I'm excited. I think there's gonna be a whole lot of change and hopefully like a lot of good, like entrepreneurial spirit of like testing things out over the next two years. Cause like it's kind of what the space needs in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and seeing this, this Moonbirds, the final uh, thing, uh, have you guys seen what's going on with proof canceling their conference? Absolute blood in the streets. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> I mean, I, I get why they had to do it with like lack of interest. But man, I think the thing that got me other than just staring at the floor price that I literally fucking contemplated selling the other day. And I was like, you know what, I'll just wait until I get a year out, not take that, you know, short term capital gains hit. Um, and of course, watching the floor plummet two and a half ETH since that decision. But I mean, Kevin Rose, like in the comments, like as a reply guy, like having meltdowns with this stuff. Like the whole thing about Kevin Rose was he was supposed to be this like calm, cool, collected dude coming in with all this veteran experience on how to run businesses and dudes yeah. like having meltdowns left and right. Yeah, yeah I guess how's, the how's three is not cut out for everyone, right? How's the nest? Uh, I'm still nested. Very, still I'm nested. Not, I would, what is it? I'm not too comfy. It's getting a little chilly in that nest here. Uh, yeah, absolutely, brutal. And tough, apparently, man. oh, go ahead. I, no, I was just saying, like, I mean, it's it's so it's the space is funny as well. And I think I, we're seeing this a lot from just conferences that we're looking at this year. One, like the conference schedule, aside from just the the proof conference as a whole, but the more wider Web three conferences, like, damn, man, they all got together and decided that March through May is like the prime time this year. <laughs> like NFT NYC is happening in April. Like Consensus, Vcon, uh, NFT Miami. Outer Edge, like it's all happening in like an eight week span here. Like coming starting in two weeks at ETH Denver um which i'm excited for so the funny part is like you know nft nyc i'm gonna be really interested to see how many people come through this year because one of just it's different dates it starts on like a wednesday through friday and we're tr you're trying to make decisions on planning events and stuff based on potential attendance and one thing you see is like people don't commit early on people don't buy tickets early on so one of the things that you know is interesting about the whole proof situation is yeah ticket you know sales weren't what they, i think they were scoping for or accounting for but how much does that change and as you get closer to an event right the market upticks andy andy shoots out his meme for three days in a row and everyone feels a whole lot differently about flying out somewhere 
um, the market really seems to impact these events. Like the Web3 Expo in Vegas last fall was not super well attended from what I understand. I got there very late. Um, but I I don't know. I mean, they seem to have enough money where it's like they could throw an event and still kind of like do it. I'm sure. I mean, I, no one wants to be losing money in the event, but it depends on how big your slush fund is um, for those kind of things. So I don't know. As, yeah, they have like over $100 million, dollars, I think. And so I was surprised yeah. they didn't just bite the bullet and say, you know what, tickets are 200 bucks. Yeah. Right. Just whatever. Yeah. Or, or, you know, offset it to be a, a, a as minimal of a loss as possible. But you got to think that mm -hmm. a lot of the, the reputation hit that they took from this was not worth it compared to like what they would have probably spent otherwise. But I mean, again, I don't know the, the, the nitty gritty on their end. And it is like optics are just everything and sentiment is everything with this stuff. And it's like, it's not like they were at risk of having a fire fest level execution of a conference. It's like you saw people were really enjoyed the Moonbirds experience at NFT NYC last, what was it? Spring or summer. Mm -hmm. I mean, all they did was have like some nice yeah. cocktails and a little hangout. And like, yeah. people were like, this is awesome. Fanny packs. I love it. That was a fanny, that was a fanny pack era. That right? was the fanny pack. Did one. It's yeah. like, it's not that hard to just like pull off an event. It's like, my God. And I, I had listened to a few of their podcasts too. And he's talking about, Oh, all the guests they got lined up. And we're going to blow your minds with some of these people booked. And it's like, I don't know. It doesn't, it seems like their kind of lack of vision, both from a literal event planning standpoint and just like a roadmap standpoint. I mean, the whole reason we got excited about this team theoretically was that they were going to be able to execute and they had a proven track record of like delivering and they were going to bring a level of professionalism to all this stuff. And they're like, they're as big of a shit show as half the rugs out there. Yeah, it's tough. I'd say they've been like more of a shit show, honestly. Well, yeah, expectations adjusted for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow, wow, West, man. Dude. Yeah. All right. So, hold, before we uh, end this one, I, I do want to get a little bit of your input, Pete. Who are the uh, Who are the upcoming rookies that I should be targeting in these uh, in these best ball drafts? Because so we one of my real quick, a big board or a little board or something. <laughs> I do not have another forty-five minutes. I think. <laughs> we, we don't got. I think I would be murdered. Um, yeah. But. I like so one of my weak, definitely weaknesses with best ball is I literally follow zero college football. I don't think I could yeah. like prior to knowing about the best ball stuff, I couldn't have told you who Bryce Young was. Um, like I basically, if if there's college football on like ESPN or something, I like close my eyes and and like block out my ears. Um, so I know nothing. I just know that Bijan Robinson is supposed to be the best running backs prospects, and Saquon Barkley is what I'm being yep. told on the internet. Yeah. Um, but so my strategy is to spend it. I'm distracting like a fuck ton of rookies in my drafts. Like, I, I think I had one draft where I had like nine rookies drafted or something <laughs> ridiculous. And so, yeah, what's, what's the alpha? My, yeah, my take. And we actually just on Splash Play earlier today, we had Corrine on and we went through like all the rookies and having almost this exact conversation of like, you know, who's overpriced, who's underpriced. And my main thing, I've had a little harder time pulling the trigger on some of the rookie wide receivers just because they're expensive. Like Jackson Smith and Jigba goes in the fifth. Um, uh, uh, Quinton Johnson's not too far after him. Um, Addison as well. However, I will not talk you out of drafting basically any rookie running back after like round nine. And I also think Bijan's fine where he's going as is um, Gibbs and crane has Gibbs just like in a tier of his own there. But like, historically too where we get the zero rb breakouts it's always that like round nine through 14 range and basically all those guys starting with charbonnet sean tucker um a chain Taj, like all those guys go in that range and like 
I'm similar to you. I'm almost always taking just at least two to three of those rookie running backs in that round nine to 15 range, just knowing these are the guys that can just be the Tyler Algier in, or the Damian Pierce and just massively outperform their costs. And then the second thing, I'm having a harder time with the wide receivers, but running backs, tight ends, and QBs, I'm loading up on. The QBs are all cheap. Anthony Richardson's essentially free, and he could be like what people hoped Malik Willis was going to be as someone who could like run and be a dual threat that's starting, you know, later in the season. And then the tight ends, like this is the tight ends is the strength of this class. You got this guy, Michael Mayer, who's probably going to be a top 15 pick out of Notre Dame. And he's like going after Gerald Everett in drafts. And I know people are like spooked about, you know, rookie tight ends, but every year we see these guys producing earlier and he's essentially free. So I'm pretty pro loading up on, on rookies in these drafts. Okay. Yeah, cool. Sounds good. I've also been taking a lot of early QBs, but that's also, it's kind of wild. I've done a decent amount of these drafts. I have not drafted below pick six so far. So I've just had like some weird variants left there. Um, Yeah. And so I've found myself like pretty consistently in a place where I feel really comfy taking like a Mahomes, Hurts, Allen. Um, But I found myself doing that a lot recently as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I haven't I haven't taken the early quarterbacks that much just because I've liked a lot of the kind of like value in the mid to late range where I've been taking Tua, I've been taking Sam Gino. Howell. Sam Howell is, is very cheap. And then liking the rookies too, you know, Stroud and and those guys go in the 12th. Oh, and Lance, of course. Trey Lance is still going late. Jordan Love is another guy I like taking. Yeah, I've been taking Love a good bit. But to your point, like that's just because right now, if say if these ADPs hold, like I am going to bite the bullet and get my fair share of those guys who are going in the second round. I'm just having a little sticker shock on them right now. How's the Brees yeah. Hall bags looking so far, Pete? <laughs> well, I've only, I'm only like eight or nine drafts uh, deep, but I've been scooping him up. Um, I think I'm at like 20 or 30%. Um, Where's he going? He's going like 24 round. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I like the second year running backs have seemed to be a good thing to bank on. Interested to hear your take on the rookie tight ends. Cause I feel like historically, I mean, like Trey McBride is probably the best example of a rookie tight end, like coming in and like contributing pretty incredibly off the jump. I mean, maybe Fryermuth, but, uh, that, that's, well, a, that's an interesting take, but I like it. Well, even think about last year. So Greg Dolchich was an every week fantasy starter um and then three guys towards the end like jelani woods had a spike week trey mcbride when cliff finally pulled his head out of his ass because he had no choice he started producing (laughs) daniel bellinger was an every down starter for the giants so like if you get a guy with actual pedigree in there um is it a good tight end class yes it's a very good tight end class yeah nice Um, some people like kincaid but Mayer, i think is supposed to be like a top 15 pick overall in the draft interesting nice I think I also, gonna... I've really liked. Go ahead. No, you go ahead, man. I've really liked that. Like, there's. I feel like there's like a second, or maybe it's almost a third tier of running back that you hit in like the 50s and 60s of this draft. That feels really cozy, where you get like the Mixon, Aaron Jones, Javante yeah, Williams. Like, yeah, I feel like I feel like they're going for a little bit too cheap comparatively, and even the guys like in that next year down, like Cam Akers, Pacheco, Kamara. Um, it's like a, it's a very weird running back year. I kind of feel like where there's like a lot of uncertainty with a lot of guys where it's like, I don't really understand why 
like, or I guess I do understand, but it's like weird to see Dalvin Cook going at like pick 60 or whatever. Yeah. Probably yeah. So. I mean, those guys all, I think the, you know, the Cook stuff with, he's going to be getting uh surgery. Has he already had that surgery? Um, On the shoulder. I know I he's so. scheduled to get it. But yeah, it's, I do think it's a byproduct of drafting this early. Cause like what will happen as the season progresses is everyone like, will try to project volume and be like this guy for Jackson. So if like everything's going good with Dalvin cooks rehab and everything, like he'll just slowly start to inch up and it kind of like plays out like the same thing happened with Alvin Kamara last year with the like looming fake suspension where he started in the fourth round. And then those suspension risks get slightly removed more and more. And then he inches up. And I do think like taking advantage of these deals, because normally we always talk about the running back dead zone and these guys that you're wanting to avoid in this range. But I agree with you. Like, Aaron Jones has been like a second, third round pick every year. And I don't think that much has changed. And now you're getting a massive yeah. discount on him. If anything, he just got paid. Yeah, same they're like, going to want to utilize him, you know? Yeah. Um, Javante yeah. Williams is like a guy who I think is like super talented and was in a really shitty situation last year and got hurt. Like, yep. He got rugged. He's the guy where I just feel like it's going to be like, it's hard to see a world where his position is worse this year than it was last year. Pacheco sounds like a very interesting pick as where you're talking about him. Like, man, upside-wise, especially how they started to use him at the last in the playoffs, unless they complicate the running back room with, like, a signing or a drafting or something, like, you got to reckon that he's got a, a lot of fun upside in the mid-rounds. It's The trick is, like, figuring out – I always use the phrase, like, which of these running backs could have, like, a bomb go off in their backfield and just have their value? Like, Aaron Jones, like, they're good with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. They're not spending even right. a top – five round pick on them the chiefs like the chiefs wouldn't surprise me if they if they did something after how much that was like really their one well them and the wide receivers but (laughs) i could see them drafting and having a bomb go off and pacheco goes from being like a seventh round guy to a 13th round guy and so those guys i'm always a little bit more careful on no it's it's a gamble for sure but i you know you can paint a picture where that's he all of a sudden he's a third round pick right you get post draft towards the season i mean maybe not that high but up there like yeah on that offense, on the snaps, you know, if Mahomes has any lingering effects from this ankle situation, you can, you can create a narrative around it. Make that place. For sure. <laughs> For sure. Um, all right, guys. Appreciate you hanging out. Definitely enjoying these 4.30 uh, shows. We'll, uh, we'll get Jack back in the saddle. I know he's had a lot of busyness with traveling and had an appointment um today but uh thank you guys for tuning in thank you to mike for swinging bye happy uh what is it fat tuesday clay happy mardi gras happy fat tuesday all right andy any final words any send-offs here no happy fat tuesday see y'all soon all right peace guys